Shabbat Shalom. Uh, I just starting by looking around, and I love seeing. I just love seeing all the moments of transition. I see young women going back to college, and see Rabbi Beth's whole Jerecki clan back there as I watched each recent college grad walk through the door, um, and so many other people here to celebrate um, good moments and sad moments. Um, it does feel a little bit like. Uh, School and life is back in session starting on Monday. And uh, I shared two weeks ago that I spent um, my kind of summer camp um, in Rabbi, Rabbi Torah Talmud camp in Jerusalem at the Hartman Institute. And I want, I want to share a series of sermons that began two weeks ago and continued tonight of some of my aha moments some of the moments that I had during my studies, moments that made me think differently about familiar texts or events in history. And this Shabbat, I'm focusing on understanding the legacy of the Dreyfus Affair. Now, no judgment, no judgment, um, but just, just those brave enough, who feels like they have a basic familiarity, basic familiarity with the Dreyfus Affair? Okay, I see a generational divide in the room, but that's good, that's good. Um, and just the, the really brave, just call out, what's the legacy? Like, why do we know about the Dreyfus Affair? Oh, good, good, Herzl, that's all I wanted to hear. That was good, I heard that from this side. Herzl, that's what I just heard. Um, so that is, that is the classic narrative, which is as follows. In 1894, there was a Jewish captain in the French army. He was an artillery officer, Alfred Dreyfus. Um, and he was falsely accused of spying for the Germans, of giving away military secrets. And in a secret military trial, he was found guilty, publicly stripped of his rank, and sent to Devil's Island, which was apparently named appropriately. It's a small island off the coast of South America. There was a Paris correspondent for a liberal Vienna newspaper who was assigned to cover the story. And while he stood outside um, the French Republic's right, main courthouse, he witnessed crowds shouting death to the Jews in the streets. And that journalist's name was Theodore Herzl. And his experience with French anti-Semitism inspired him to push for political Zionism. That, at least the beginning of that affair, happened in 1894. He went home um, and wrote in 1896, The Jewish State, where he advocated for Jewish national sovereignty as the only political solution to the Jewish question, to the problem of Jews. He felt that even in the heart of emancipation, in the first country to emancipate the Jews, if there was such institutionalized discrimination against Jews, then really there was no hope for Jews to ever make a true home in Western Europe. If even a successful army officer could be accused of dual loyalty or be the scapegoat for corruption, then the modern promise of equality, and really the modern promise of assimilation was a myth. And that's often where the story ends. 
that Herzl pointed to the Dreyfus Affair as the turning point, and we see it as a critical moment in the biography of the founder of modern Zionism. But the story continued from there. Dreyfus's family and community tried to save him with little success until French novelist Emil Zola rallied to Dreyfus's cause. And in 1898, he wrote a scathing and very famous article entitled Jacuzzi. It's like the only French I know. Jacuzzi, right? If I'm even saying it right, right? I accuse you, accusing the army of corruption, of anti Semitism. And he himself, after publishing the article, was convicted in a court of law of libel. And he had to flee to England for several years um, until it was safe for him to come back to Paris. But all of this, such a well-known, well-respected journalist producing a front-page story brought much needed attention to the case. And eventually, a coalition and as part of a liberal government brought enough political pressure that Dreyfus was pardoned and then eventually restored to his previous rank in the army in 1906. So it took 12 years, and they say that his health never recovered from his imprisonment, that he was never the same. But ultimately, his name was cleared, and he actually lived into his 70s and was in the army for several decades after he was pardoned. Some modern European historians point to the Dreyfus Affair as a turning point in strengthening the still nascent French Republic. The more liberal factions from socialists to moderate Republicans joined together against what they called the enemies of liberty in trying to advocate for the Dreyfus Affair. And in fact, they found evidence that the leadership of the Catholic Church had a large role in covering up the injustice against Dreyfus. And that inspired one year before he was reinstated in the army in 1905, the radical party in the French government to succeed in passing legislation that separated church and state in France. So there's the sense of kind of two, two legacies, right? Of kind of the legacy of what it meant for Herzl, but also the legacy of what it meant for our French democracy and ultimately for Dreyfus himself. In this week's Torah portion, Ve'et Hanan, as Rabbi Rodich said, Moses is concerned about the people entering the land without him. He reminds the Israelites, take utmost care and watch yourselves scrupulously so that you do not forget the things that you saw with your own eyes and so that they do not fade from your mind as long as you live. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Moses' greatest fear at the end of his life and at the end of Deuteronomy is amnesia. That everything that he's done, everything he's fought for in the last 40 plus years will be forgotten. And his main message again and again in the fifth book of Torah and Deuteronomy is that we should not forget our history. That we should teach our stories to our children. That that is the way we will survive in each new place that we come to. Deuteronomy knows instinctively that history is political. That Moses retells the journey for the next generation 
from his own perspective, with his own twist to the narrative, and certainly with the context of his impending death. And today, we also instinctively know that history is subjective, that we retell our history in light of our lives today, that we read ourselves into events like the Dreyfus Affair. And it's hard when we study the event again not to see the layers of history within our own modern-day discourse. This is a time of concerning French anti-Semitism, which is leading many Jews to leave the country. I have to tell you, I had some amazing croissants this summer in Jerusalem at two newly opened bakeries where every single employee seemed to speak French. And each buttery bite was bittersweet because I knew that I was able to do that because they had felt the need to come to Jerusalem in the last few years. We are yet again asking the question of where it is safe to be Jewish, of how the Western world and liberalism relates to the Jewish question, and of where our loyalties lie as Americans and as Jews. This is also a time when our institutions of democracy, from due process to freedom of the press, are being challenged. When we are questioning the legitimacy of our government and the stability of our economy and international trade. And some of us may feel like Alfred Dreyfus did, that we are unfairly targeted because of the category that we represent rather than who we really are that all of our hard work is not enough to escape the traps, the cages, the devil's island that society has put us in. Others of us may feel more like Emil Zola, trying to find a way to speak out, even at our own personal risk, about the injustices that we see in our country. We are watching vulnerable elements in our communities being falsely accused, being sent away in exile. And we are trying to find our own way to say jacuz. We are trying to find our own way to say that this is not the democracy that we want. Perhaps those layers are the reason why it was an aha moment for me at Hartman, that when Dr. Alexander Kay, the historian who taught us said, you know, we don't often talk about the second part of Dreyfus's story, that one could argue that democracy is the best possible thing, that Western democracy is what truly protects us as Jews. Re-examining the narrative around this seminal story in our history made me examine our own moment in time, made me question the ways in which our history and really the fork in the road that we've taken in the 20th century, what the legacy is for us today in the 21st century. What does it look like to teach these stories to our children, to make sure we don't forget, and to tell all parts of what it means to get ready to cross the Jordan. Shabbat Shalom.